What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, bringing you that series preview. As always, the Cardinals head home after a road trip through the NL Central, and they will take on the NL Central Pittsburgh Pirates for the second time in just about a week. Now, the Cardinals come in at 29-24 and 24 after dropping the series in Milwaukee. That puts them third in the division, five games behind the Brewers, just half a game behind the Chicago Cubs. The Pirates are 29-26, and 26, fourth in the division, just barely. Six games back of the Brewers and one game behind the St. Louis Cardinals. Coming out of the Brewers series for the Cardinals, things did not quite go according to plan. We saw the bullpen exposed. We saw the, the lack of offense continue to be exposed. And we saw Alex Reyes maybe not quite live up to the astronomical expectations in his season debut. As for the Pirates, they dropped two of three to the Cubs and were part of a bit of a controversy swirling through Major League Baseball, and we saw, well, Joe Madden and Clint Hurdle revealed as arch rivals in the 2018 baseball season? Weird things happen when uh, the NL Central teams play each other, and new, uh, new villains are established. But for this series, maybe the battle of no villains. We'll see what happens. David Freeze returning to Bush Stadium. And to help me talk about it, since we just saw the Pirates, I thought we'd talk more about the Cardinals in this preview. And I'm bringing in Cardinals reporter Jeff Jones. Well, first of all, Jeff, I know that you have uh, returned home from a relatively long journey uh, from Milwaukee. So thanks for joining me this morning. How was Milwaukee? It, it was great. It was it was a short, long journey. It was like, you know, like a 26 hour trip or something. Uh, but no, I, I, I had a good time up there for sure. Uh, it's always nice to be able to... Uh, to see more ballparks and, and, and see especially the coverage perspective of some more ballparks. And I got to say, uh, big shout out to the Milwaukee Brewers for having well-placed signage that points to the elevators. Because let me tell you, not always the case. There's a lot of wandering around the event level trying to not walk down the wrong hallway. The Brewers did not have that problem. That is one of those things that very few people would uh, think of as a problem, but I've been there. <laughs> It's bad. And it's Outside. you feel like an idiot when you're just wandering around aimlessly, hoping that you stumble across the right doorway. Because it looks like <laughs> every other person in the building knows exactly where they're supposed to be going, and you're like, why? Why does everyone except for me know you're, what they're? You're doing? always the only one that doesn't yeah, know where anything is. But besides the signage, uh, you <laughs> also were there to see the debut of Alex Reyes, which. Didn't quite go like a lot of people, I think, had hoped. And there was some concern when he came out of the game early that it was because of a, a, a physical issue that had popped up at some point. So based on what you saw, based on talking to the team and, and Mike Matheny and Reyes after the game, what's your takeaway from what we saw from Alex Reyes and what we can expect? 
So the explanation from the team was that Reyes was a little more fatigued than they were expecting, uh, which they chalked up in part, I think, to some ramped-up adrenaline at the start of the game, and it sort of burned itself out as the game went on. Uh, Matheny's explanation for the visit from the trainer was that the team noticed the dip in velocity, and so they wanted to come out and make sure everything was fine. And then after the trainer came out, those last two or three pitches of the game, he was back in the 95-96 range from the 93-94 where he had dipped to. Um, I think we can expect Alex Reyes to get the full battery of tests when they get back to St. Louis last night, this morning, whatever. I'm sure he'll probably be at Bush early this morning to see the doctors and work through all of that. Uh, for now, the team is downplaying the possibility that there was anything physically wrong with Alex Reyes. He said he felt fine. Matheny said the trainer didn't notice anything. Uh, I asked if they noticed a mechanical flaw. He said no. He said it was just the velocity. So, for now, uh, I guess we'll call it an issue with fatigue, and we'll see what the answer is this afternoon. And we hope that it's not a he'll-only-miss-one-start uh, lack yeah. of concern, because that's where Carlos Martinez is at, uh, who should be making a rehab start uh, tonight, although they're, they're, they've been very careful to call it an abbreviated start, uh, so as not to imply that he's okay and he's just one rehab start away from. Uh, so uh, let's let's jump right in there. Um, is the feeling of concern for Carlos Martinez um, reasonable at this point because of the sort of lack of information about what's really going on? Yeah, so... The only thing I'll say about the abbreviated rehab start is that Derek Gould seemed to suggest in his column earlier this week that uh, there would be a chance that a 40 to 50 pitch start would be all Martinez would need to show he was ready and it would be a platform immediately back into the rotation as opposed to a first step. Uh, obviously once you get, you know, once you go through this rehab and they get a better look at what he looks like on the mound, then they'll have a better idea of what's going on. I just, I thought it was really interesting when they described the injury as a lat strain and then word started to quasi leak out that they were thinking it was a one start, maybe two start kind of injury. Uh, lat strains are fairly serious for pitchers. There was a, there was an article that Lindsay Barrow wrote for MLB.com last year when Noah Syndergaard went down with a lat strain, and that's what caused him to only make six starts for the Mets last season was a lat strain, right? And, and the, the finding in that article was that pitchers who didn't require surgical intervention had an average recovery time of 99 days from that injury. And, and, and so to hear that contrasted with Carlos will miss one start, which was, was pretty strange. And anyway, at this point, uh, when Jack Flaherty was, well, so Reyes's day yesterday would have been Martinez's day. So I think he's missed four starts at this point. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're talking about a 30 day injury instead of a 10 day injury for Carlos Martinez by the time that he gets back from rehab. So, Hopefully, by uh, by tomorrow, there's a better understanding of what that injury looks like for Carlos, and, and he has a strong rehab outing tonight. The pitching puzzle gets a little bit complicated when you start adding some of these guys back into it, but complicated in a good way, I think. You know, when you're putting all of this massive talent in the rotation, obviously, John Gant ended up pitching, I think, more yesterday than, than most people expected, but he appears to be one of those guys that, that will not have that spot in the rotation. Luke Weaver kind of seems like he's on the bubble as far as what his role will be moving forward. Um, and at this point, I'm not sure Luke Weaver in the bullpen is a terrible idea anyway, because the bullpen has some issues. Um, 
when and I think they were magnified this weekend in in Milwaukee because when you compare the Cardinals bullpen to what Milwaukee has going for it, um, when you when you eliminate uh, Jordan Hicks and Bud Norris, you, the the options get a little tricky. Um, and we're seeing Sam Tuivasa kind of take on more of a, a high leverage role. Um, my concern there is that he becomes the new Matt Bowman <laughs> and he pitches way too much to continue to be effective. But when you look at what this bullpen has to offer right now, is there, is there a way that makes sense to improve it with just moving Weaver in and someone else out? Or does, is it going to take more than that? So there's a big ball of wax that winds around this bullpen. And I'll, I'll start it with John Gant uh, because my conspiratorial wondering was if John Gant, number one, was kept on the roster instead of Myers, and number two, was held out of that game where Hicks threw two innings because the Cardinals were concerned about needing a backup for Reyes. That maybe, maybe, maybe John Gant did not pitch it later in that game uh, on Tuesday because they thought maybe they would need him for an extended outing on Wednesday. Now, in terms of, you know, I, I, there's been a lot of people, I think, who wonder why Jordan Hicks pitched uh, p- pitched two innings in a five-run game on Tuesday. The explanation from Matheny was that once Hicks threw one inning in that game, he was probably burned for Wednesday anyway, so they could go ahead and throw him for two to finish the game out. Okay, fine. The next step in the bullpen, though, is... To me, Matt Bowman is a guy that they're missing a lot. And not so much like the skill set of Matt Bowman, but a pitcher that Matheny trusts to the degree that he trusts Matt Bowman. Because, you know, we've seen that Mike likes to have this plug-and-play strategy for operating his bullpen. Guys pitch in certain innings all the time. Uh, And I think that in his mind at the start of the season, if things worked out for the best, it would have been Hicks 7, Norris 8, Holland 9. Obviously, we're not there, uh, and the answer to the seventh has not revealed itself with Bowman not being healthy or effective. Now, does that mean he should trust John Brebbia or Sam Tuivalala more in those big innings? Uh, possibly. Sorry, my phone's ringing. Uh, apologies. Uh, so, so uh, does it mean that he should trust those guys? Yeah, maybe, and I think that those guys should deserve more of those innings, but that would be a spot where Luke Weaver would come into play, I think. That, that, that Weaver would be a guy who maybe Matheny would trust in those spots. The other consideration, uh, and one that I'm going to be trying to run down today, is Preston Gilmet has been closing for Memphis. Uh, and Ken Rosenthal reported earlier this week, and it was the first time I'd seen this reported, that he has a major league out clause on June 1st. So that's tomorrow. Uh, Gilmet's thrown in 20 appearances. The ERA is like a hair over one. For the Redbirds, now he hasn't been a very good pitcher in the majors previously, but he, like Michaelis, went to Japan for a year, uh, came back this year, and, and and so I wonder if the Cardinals would want to get a look at him. That opens the question of how do you find a forty-man spot for Gilmet, which is a whole other thing. But yeah, that so that's that's at least a piece organizationally that I wonder if they would want to look at before they made any sort of changes to the rotation with Weaver. It's interesting, um, and again, I think in contrast with the Brewers this weekend, it became very obvious um, in the way that someone like Mike Matheny wants to use a bullpen versus the way that someone like Craig Council wants to use a bullpen. Um, The strategies and the intentions and just the way that they see that whole picture uh, developing and, and 
being able to sustain itself over the course of a season was really interesting. Um, obviously, when you have guys like Josh Hader and, and Jeremy Jeffress and and all the supporting cast of those two, it's not just those two. Um, you can be a little bit more creative, but to see the the almost intentionally not putting them in the the traditional roles of a bullpen so that you can have that flexibility to put them in whatever situation makes the most sense. Um, It was really interesting. And and I found myself thinking, man, if if Mike Matheny could do that with this mix of pitchers, um, it might not be quite so frustrating when you see a guy get (laughs) sort of pigeonholed into a role that then doesn't really help the rest of the bullpen settle. Yeah, so... I think that, and, and the thing to me that highlighted that yesterday was that a hater came out to start the ninth because I think that if you switched the managers and the dugouts at that point in the game, Knievel starts the ninth no matter what. He's the closer. He's the guy, right? So he has to be out there in the ninth inning, and and that's that's probably not the best way to operate a bullpen. Uh, for the Cardinals, it's an interesting spot because right now. Bud Norris is the closer. He's the guy and has been effective at that. With you know minus one outing, he he's been fantastic all year long. Uh, and 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 so, is there a need to maybe push Jordan Hicks into that hater role where he's getting these multi inning outings every time out? Probably not a need for that. Uh, but, but you can see the way that that would develop. And I, I think that the Cardinals probably view long term, whether that long term starts in July or starts in April of next season, uh, view Hicks as the guy who would be in that role. I just don't know. I don't know how that transition works in combination of a manager who prefers a more rote description of the bullpen and uh, a pitcher currently in that role who checks all the boxes of veteran respect that you might want, right? Like Bud Norris has, you know, is his first year here, obviously, but he has been around the league. He's well-respected in that clubhouse and, and has had some pretty frank conversations with Mike Matheny already this season about his usage and what he needs to get himself on track. Uh, and, and it's clear that, the Cardinals are going to value what Norris says and what Norris wants. And so that creates those very rigid roles uh, that maybe are less necessary with, with the personnel that they have. Yeah, that's that's actually uh, in a couple of the other series previews ahead of Brewers series. Um, I've talked to whoever the guest was at the time about the fact that it, it seems to me that it takes uh, some... I don't, whether it's convincing on on the part of the manager to the players or a particular kind of player who's willing to say, all right, this is different than anything I've ever done. I'm not going to have the role that I've always had, but this can still work. Um, well, and I also I also wonder too if it takes a particular kind of manager. Yeah, right? like because because Craig Council has sort of always been that guy, and if Matheny now being Mike Matheny goes to the clubhouse and becomes the we're going to be flexible with roles guy. I don't know how the clubhouse takes that because that's not the way he's ever been. And it's not, I mean, John Mozeliak tried to give him flexibility a, a year ago, really two seasons consecutively in different ways. He didn't do it well. <laughs> he didn't do well, the flexibility thing well. So it, there's not not a great uh, track record of being able no. to, to do the creative thing really well over the course of an extended period of time. No, there's not. And, and, it, it, it's funny because there were there were back to back years where going into the 16 season, the conversation or sorry going into the 17 season rather the conversation was uh, we were 
too flexible. We need to be more rigid. And so you try the rigidity and then you go into this year. Nah, we were too rigid. Maybe we need to be more flexible. And it's like, okay, if we can't be rigid and we can't be flexible, then there needs to be a broader conversation about the way that these options are being utilized. And like, I, I am, I, I don't often kill Matheny for things like there are, there are decisions in games that I think are not great. There was a spot yesterday, for example, where Carson Kelly was bunting with first and second and nobody out, but that, if you can't hit, then you need to make a different decision on Carson Kelly. But with that being said, like the the in-game strategic stuff is a concern. Yesterday was a day where he got bit by the bullpen not being very deep or being very good. Like Tyler Lyons threw up a middle-middle meatball that, I mean, that Yelich just massacred. Uh, and then he's in a spot where he feels like he has to use two for two innings because either, well, because he doesn't have Hicks because of the previous day, and he doesn't feel like he can trust John Brebbia to come in in the 7th or the 8th. And if that's the case, then you need to get different personnel or you need to have, there needs to be some sort of intervention where it's like, look, Brebbia needs to have an opportunity to pitch in these spots. He's not just the mop-up guy. Or if he is, then let's bring in someone else. Yeah, and it's, in some respect, um, I I feel for Matheny in that uh, when he brings the right guys in and they don't do their job, it's Matheny's fault. When he doesn't bring the right guy in and they do what everyone expects them to do, is Matheny's fault. Um, so to some degree, I, I would, I don't envy his position, um, in trying to make this, this roster do what he thinks it should do. I don't think the two are the same. And I think that's where the problem lies. The other issue is, um, the Cardinals have now played nine games against the Brewers, lost five of them. Uh, and most of them have been by a run. (laughs) So when the Cardinals offense doesn't score, it doesn't really matter what the bullpen does um, when there's not, when there's not a lot of support and there just isn't a lot of support. Now we saw Dexter Fowler uh, get three hits yesterday, which was a good thing to see. We saw him go first to third yesterday with, with relative ease. We saw him score on a play. So watching him um, not look hindered by uh, a potential knee injury from getting hit the other day is a good thing. Watching him get those hits is a good thing. Matt Carpenter seems to be back on track, but there's still some concern. And I think, again, it was magnified in the Ozuna versus Yelich direct comparison all weekend, because what we're, what we're seeing is the Cardinals basically picked the wrong Marlin. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's 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 problematic. And I I had a conversation with uh, a couple of guys in the press box yesterday about whether the Cardinals because Ozuna has another year on his contract after this one, and so in some ways, if the Cardinals feel like the Ozuna thing is not working, they're in a position to cut bait uh, and recapture maybe some of those assets or or look to lean in a different direction. Like it would be. It would be dramatic, I think, if they, if they were to pursue a change in that direction uh, at the trade deadline or even this winter. But I don't know what you do when the guy who your offseason was designed around is giving you nothing, right? When you're, you're, you're getting nothing offensively out of Marcelo Zuna. There's no power there at all. Uh it, he's had some trouble getting into the lineup here over the last week or so there, there, there are just, 
there are all these little things kind of around Marcelo Zuna that make you start to believe that that 17 season really may have been the outlier uh, as opposed to the trend for Marcelo Zuna. And, and if that's the case and the Cardinals need to go back to market again to find a bat, then that's that dramatically changes this season. And it, you're, you're right that it, it puts Matheny in an impossible spot because when the best players are all having career worst years, there's only so much that a manager can do, right? Like, you know, and we've seen as much fun as the home run streak was. I think Tyler O'Neill has now struck out in like 15 of his last 19 plate appearances. You know, this is, this is where they're at right now. Like, Harrison Bader is, is hitting the ball right now, but Harrison Bader probably isn't a 30 home run guy over the course of a full season. And, and so I don't know what the Cardinals do from here to find that, that middle order bat. Like, because I, I am not a person who was in favor of a Machado deal, for example, because when you look at the, the, the amount of talent you have to give up, what you're talking about is Machado getting into the lineup over Jose Martinez. That would be the trade-off. You'd have Carpenter playing first, and you'd have Machado playing third. That, to me, offensively, is such a marginal upgrade that the cost you'd have to pay, which presumably would be some combination of, like, Flaherty plus Hudson plus something else, seems so astronomical to me. Especially without any sort of guarantee beyond this season, it's you're you're giving up so much when you're talking about those young guys that are, are cost controlled and they're at the very beginning stages of of what appear to be very promising careers um, for a couple months. And and to me, that's there are issues when you're trying to look long term, but also set yourself up to win now when you're when you make a move like that. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know why big name free agents aren't signing with the Cardinals. I can postulate theories. I have a number of them, but I don't, I don't know the reason why specifically, but I know that they're not. And so if big name free agents aren't signing with the Cardinals, if that's not a thing that's going to happen with Machado and certainly it's not like there, there's no way that you trade for Machado and he agrees, you know, the days of, of Matt holiday, going, oh, shucks, I love it here, are probably done. And, by the way, Holiday went to free agency. Like, he went to free agency after that season. managed to re-sign him. Uh, those days are done. And so, yeah, you're talking about, what, 80 games of Manny Machado in exchange for like, a combined 20 years of control of starting pitching. That That's not a tenable way to do business to me. And it's, you know, it's, again, there's a, a weird line because for years it seems like, Jamal Zalek has been so resistant to make that big trade, whether it's a trade or a free agent signing, to, to make that big addition. Um, but I, I will defend him in that it doesn't make any sense to just make the big move for the sake of the big move. Um, because they've done a really intentional job of kind of designing their minor league system to create this pitching talent. Now, on the flip side, I've often said I think they they hold on to some of that a little too long, and they don't use it as the as uh, the the form of currency that it can be when they don't want to spend the dollars. Um, Carson Kelly. Yeah, exactly. I've I've been saying that uh, all season. Actually, I was saying that last season, but um, I was I was a little ahead of the ahead of the curve there on the Carson Kelly uh, on the Carson Kelly story. But um, you know, I think that's been an issue that has sort of led to this. Well, they didn't get Yelich, but they got Ozuna, um, and now we're sort of seeing. Well, maybe that was uh, not quite as good of a, a 
a trade as it may have appeared to be at the at the beginning. But on the flip side of that, you also have Tommy Pham, who has four hits in his last 38 at-bats. You have Colton Wong, who has three hits in his last 26 at-bats. That's the last 10 games for both of them. You have Yadier Molina not playing. You have Paul DeYoung not playing. So it's not just a matter of the guys who are in the lineup not performing. It's also these guys that just aren't there. Yeah, and that's I mean, and that's that's the challenge. Look, I, five of the nine guys in the lineup for the Cardinals yesterday, and this includes Reyes, so it's a little fussy, uh, had played at Memphis this year, and, and 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 so with that in mind, like and that's you know, and that's the end of May. Like they're already that deep into the depth, and you look down the forty man, you look at the position players that are available, and there aren't that. It's like Mercado, Edmundo Sosa, and Steve Barron are the only, and and Voight are the players in the forty man who are available who aren't on the on the twenty five man right now. And I don't think that. I don't think anybody is like clamoring for Luke Voigt to be the solution to the offensive problems that are that are that are hurting the Cardinals right now. And and so yeah, it is a big challenge to put a lineup together when all of the all of your best players are not hitting. Tommy Pham hit in April. Uh, Matt Carpenter is hitting in May, but you have not had any stretch of games where you've had everyone clicking and everyone healthy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You're turning that corner now if Fowler is getting it together, if Pham gets off the schneid. Uh, but I think with Paul DeYoung, that's a guy where I, I think the all-star break is probably a relatively decent estimate for when Paul DeYoung gets back. And uh, that's that's a concern. Now, I will say with Yadier Molina, my, my – I won't say expectation. My suspicion is that he will be back sooner than later. Uh, the Cardinals next weekend are in Cincinnati for a road trip. My guess would be that that weekend he will maybe take like a one-game trip down to Springfield, maybe take a rehab. And the uh, I think it's the 11th is a Monday. They're back for a long homestand. My guess is that Monday the 11th would be a day that Molina would come off the DL. That's not based on knowing any of the medical facts, certainly. Uh, but Matheny said yesterday the doctors have cleared him to do baseball stuff. Obviously, he was Instagramming himself, though it should be noted in that Instagram video, he was not crouched. He was kind of on a knee catching. Uh, but, catching but, pitches over his head, right, <laughs> not yeah, anything. Yeah. Happening. But <laughs> my, my understanding is that once the, uh, once the incision is healed... There's not much left to do. Like it's just a matter of of his surgical wound being ready for him to be athletic again. So uh, that you know, so you're you're probably what ten days or so from having Yadier Molina back in the lineup, and that that will be a boost at least. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel. It's interesting looking at this NL Central because right now it feels like the Brewers are probably overperforming a little bit from what the expectations are. A team like the Cubs are underperforming what the expectations were, what their talent level is. Um, the Cardinals and the Pirates are interesting because I feel like there was uh, there were questions about both of these teams, maybe more so the Pirates than the Cardinals coming into the season. Um, but they're both trying to make themselves relevant um, in that conversation, and and kind of fighting it up and down uh, with with a lack of consistency. So we saw the Pirates just prior to the series um, in Milwaukee. They will be in St. Louis for another series uh, with the Cardinals. We'll see two of the same pitchers that we saw in that last series. Um, in fact, two rematches with Trevor Williams and Jack Flaherty and Jamison Tyon and Miles Michaelis. Um, and, and it seems like 
while all division games are important at this point, the Pirates are that team that's right there with the Cardinals, not overperforming dramatically, not underperforming dramatically, just kind of, you got to keep pace with them if you want to be able to make a move later on, especially when the Cardinals are back to somewhat closer to full strength. That's what it yeah. feels like to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that you have to keep pace. You also have to get separation, right? Yeah. This is a spot where the Cardinals need to sort of remove themselves uh, from being in contention with the Pirates and need, they need to establish themselves on that run with the Cubs because the Cubs are, are in an interesting spot right now with Darvish in the DL, Carl Edwards going on the DL. There are some important arms, and in, in, in Chicago was already, I think, relatively thin from a pitching perspective. And and, and so without those guys, uh, this is a spot where the Cardinals need to make a move because the one thing the Cubs will do if they have the opportunity is – make a trade for pitching, right? They, they, they have shown a willingness to do that consistently. And, and, and so the Cardinals, if they're not going to be able to find uh, some sort of transformative bat on the market in the middle of the season, then they need to be running up the score uh, against the pirates of the world. And they need to be separating themselves out from those quality of teams. And, to date, it has been, as you mentioned, hard for them to do that. They have been in that up and down sort of pattern. And I, yeah, look, this this is an important series in that it can define for now the team's ability to find that separation and to break themselves out of that rut. Uh, and, 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 and so it's a matter of can enough pieces come together at the right time? Because with with the starters the Cardinals have going, they should be in a spot where they can dominate the Pirates from a pitching perspective. And so it's a matter of putting together those lineup pieces in a way uh, that scores enough runs to get wins out of these games. That that has been the consistent challenge, I think. And as much as the bullpen is a little bit frustrating right now, I think it's the offense. Um, and the lack of consistent production that really puts this team at a disadvantage. Because, you know, if you can go out and score five or six runs, um, as opposed to one or two, <laughs> the pressure isn't on the bullpen or even on the starter to go as deep uh, into games to not put the pressure on the bullpen as it, as it is um, in their current situation. So I think that um, the the offense, offensive production is really where, <laughs> what it all comes down to for this team. And I... I it was kind of it. It was kind of designed that way, right? When you look at this roster, this, it was designed to be the kind of offense that maybe doesn't have uh, a Giancarlo Stanton, but has consistency, um, and and that consistency then would translate to being able to uh, score multiple runs in innings, score in multiple innings, not have a big dead hole anywhere in the lineup, and that's just not what's happened. So when you when you create a roster, when you create a lineup. Um, very specifically to how it will, how it can work, <laughs> and it doesn't do any of those things. It, I guess, shouldn't be surprising that uh, that the Cardinals aren't scoring runs. <laughs> yeah, and we we talked about this, but the big fear factor component in the middle of that lineup is hitting two sixty and pounding the ball onto the ground and has like one extra base hit in the last three weeks. That's, I mean, that's that's unfortunate. Like the card, it's, it's May 31st and the Cardinals have one home run from the cleanup spot at Bush stadium this season. And it was Tyler O'Neill. Marcelo Zuna has not hit a home run at Bush with the Cardinals here as we exit May. That is, I mean, that's, that is a problem. Because it's a problem without an obvious solution. Yeah. Like there's no one, there's no one in the organization that can replace what you thought you were going to get from Marcelo Zuna. And I know a lot of people think that Harrison Bader 
can be that guy. I'm always very, very hesitant to buy into this extremely small sample size of a young guy that has a little bit of success, shows some talent, shows some ability, but hasn't had to make adjustments when he's played enough for the league to adjust to him. So it's easy to see what Harrison Bader has done and be like, ah, that's the future in the outfield. But it's it's way too early to anoint him the, the savior of yeah. the Cardinals offense. I think a really good, like... A really good outcome for Harrison Bader is kind of the season that you had from Dexter Fowler last year, right? Where he hits 280 and hits 15 home runs and drives in 70 runs. That would be a really good Harrison Bader season, especially when you paired it with the kind of defense that you're getting out of Bader, right? So a guy who hits optimally fifth or sixth in your lineup is is the best kind of hitter that Harrison Bader is going to be. Uh, that's not what Ozuna needed to be needs to be for this team. Not quite, <laughs> not quite. When you when he's your big uh, when he's your big move, um... he's, he's the guy. <laughs> the entire off season is structured around yeah. the Cardinals acknowledging at the end of the last season that they needed to get a bat in the middle of the order. It's a, it's structured around this very public pursuit of Giancarlo Stanton uh, that doesn't go anywhere, and and so it becomes okay. So then let's go get Ozuna. And I wonder, you know, you hesitate to say that they didn't consider all of their options. But it just, the way that, that story was reported consistently sounded all along like the Marlins were where the Cardinals were going to go for an outfielder. And so when they didn't get Stanton, okay, on to the next one, I guess that's Ozuna. And man, it just, I really wonder how much they looked elsewhere and what other options were available. Easy to say now, given the year that Marcelo Zuna has had and given how great he was last year at the time, for a lot of people, he looked like the very obvious solution. But that's there's some serious buyer's remorse, I think, happening right now. On that note, I think there was so much written that made it seem like the Cardinals' approach was Marcelo Zuna's our guy from... As soon as as soon as Giancarlo Stanton was off the table, they kind of just flipped the script and they're like, no, 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 this is really the guy we wanted, um, which is fine. Uh, there there were plenty of reasons to think that he could contribute, but I don't think he was ever going to be the guy that uh, that someone like Stanton would have been. And that was that was a weird twist to that to that pursuit all along for me. Um, I never expected it to be this bad. <laughs> I don't think anyone did. Um, and I can't imagine being Marcelo Zuna and feeling the weight of the way this season has gone and trying to figure out what to do about it. So um, a lot, a lot of pressure, uh, to say the least. And, you know, no, no time like the present with a, a series with the Pirates to uh, turn things around. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for your time this morning. We, I will let you get back to uh, whatever it is that you have well, yet before, to do today. Before we go, I do. I want to. I want to make one last little okay. point here because there was a tweet that came in while we were recording this uh, from an Aaron Johnson who asks, "If you were the Cardinals GM, would you pull the trigger on a Weaver Gant Jerko trade for Machado? If you were the Orioles." Would you look? This is I. We need to. I want to. Okay, that's yes, yes. No, that's we should answer this. <laughs> if you are the Cardinals, yes, in a thousand and every permutation of Weaver plus Gant plus Jerko for Machado, you say yes. The Orioles are never accepting that as a deal for Manny Machado because the Orioles know, like the Orioles, like everyone else, can look at the Cardinals from the outside and see that the pitching talent that they have, right? 
there, there's no way the Orioles agree to a deal for Machado that doesn't include at least one of Hicks, Flaherty, maybe Hudson, maybe, maybe, maybe he would be a guy who would be a headline package. Like Luke Weaver is a fine pitcher and John Gant is a depth piece and Jed Jerko is just like, but these are all guys who at this point, there's a pretty good understanding of who these guys are and they're not headline talent. And, and the Orioles are going to be in a spot where they're going to be able to choose their destination for Machado. They're going to be able to get whatever they want from any number of teams. And it's not going to be Luke Weaver and John Gant. And the almost downside to the Cardinals having so much pitching talent that is so strong is that you're right. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows about Jack Flaherty. Everyone knows about, uh, you know, some of these guys in the minor leagues that we haven't seen in St. Louis yet. This is not a secret that the Cardinals have extraordinary pitching talent. um, and, And these opposing teams are going to look at a trade that doesn't include one of those guys for a, a blockbuster trade and just be like, no, like for for the guy. Yeah. It was going to go with this deadline. Like people, you need to disavow yourselves of the notion that Luke Weaver is a headliner in a deal for Manny Machado because he's not. Luke Weaver is the second piece. Yeah. And I think, uh, quite honestly, I think Luke Weaver was always a second piece. I think that from what we've heard over the offseason, people weren't calling to ask about Luke Weaver in those trades. They were calling to ask about Jordan Hicks or Jack Flaherty, uh, to some extent Alex Reyes, but coming off of an injury, there may have been uh, not quite as many calls as there would have been otherwise. But nonetheless, um, Manny Machado is an attractive piece to add to any team. I think that the Cardinals chances of landing him were never very high um and uh while a valid question um i don't think that's gonna happen (laughs) they they can do it there is a the cardinals could make a phone call today and put together a package that the orioles would accept for manny machado they can do it they shouldn't do it and i then they won't no that's that uh (laughs) <laughs> that would push too far out of the John Mozeliak comfort zone, and I, I certainly don't expect that. Yeah, that would be the most. Um, I, I think that would be the the most uncomfortable he'd ever been in <laughs> in a deal. <laughs> the Cardinals firing John Mozeliak and hiring Jim Bowden or something. Yeah. Like that. Well, while we may not be able to expect that, um, the Cardinals do take on the Pirates again in just a matter of days from the last time they saw them. Hopefully they can uh, repeat some of that success and not the, the sad story that it was the first time these two teams played this season. Of course, they will be in St. Louis. Um, for better or worse, that hasn't always been uh, an advantage for the Cardinals the last couple of seasons, but we'll see what happens. Yep, it'll be, uh, I'm sure, a, a swell weekend at the ballpark. Tonight is a 6-15 game. I don't know why. Like, it's it's on Fox Sports Midwest. There's no national TV. There's some, some weird game times uh, early I in this season. Day off with the game at the 6-15 and 7-15. I gotta, everything is an hour earlier. It's crazy. Well, Not- I'll let you get back to it so that you can, you know, organize the rest of your day appropriately. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much. Thank you. Like I mentioned, there will be a couple of rematches as far as the starting pitchers are concerned this weekend between the Cardinals and the Pirates in St. Louis. Game one will be Trevor Williams versus Jack Flaherty. In the last start against the Cardinals, Williams went four innings, gave up four runs, struck out three 
picked up the loss, whereas Jack Flaherty went six innings, gave up one run on four hits, and struck out four in the victory. Jamison Tyon versus Miles Michaelis will be the game two matchup. Tyon went six and a third last time out against the Cardinals, gave up three runs, struck out six, but lost. Miles Michaelis went six innings, gave up four runs on five hits and a walk in one of his rougher outings of the year. Now in game three, it'll be Chad Cool versus Luke Weaver. The Cardinals have yet to see Cool this season. He gave up just a single run in both of his last two outings of six innings each, but has struggled to pick up those wins because, you know, pitcher wins. He's a sinker slider guy, maybe not so great for the Cardinals lineup, but we'll see what happens and hope they can put some runs on the board in those first two games and pick up an all-important series win. Thanks again to Jeff Jones for joining me. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and give him a listen on the Locked On STL Cardinals podcast. You can find the link to that in his bio on Twitter and just search for it, Locked On St. Louis Cardinals, and you can find it there as well. Thanks so much for once again joining me. Thanks for your questions and uh, for all of your lovely comments on these series previews. They've been fun for me to do, and I hope they've been fun for you to watch and listen to as well. I will see you next time on Tara Wellman.